been a minute. So uh, welcome back. Um, we're your hosts. I'm Joyce, and this is Jen. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, yeah, we. it's been a minute. So what have you been up to, Jen? Ooh, um, just Working Girl, uh, working you know, girl. Mm-hmm. which also is a really good movie. I watched that um, recently for the first time, and that soundtrack is fire, and the hair is amazing, <laughs> and Alec Baldwin is, like, very sexy in it. Um, but uh, separate of that, I – uh, I was on an offsite in Nashville for Woo-hoo. my job where since we're all remote, it was our first time meeting everyone. Um, and it was a blast. And mm-hmm. I was a mm-hmm. true menace in Nashville. <laughs> like <laughs> at um at one point, uh oh, wait, okay, this is what I think did it did it in. Um, so we found a karaoke bar that also had a bull riding machine yes, that yes. was recommended mm-hmm. by our server at the restaurant we were at. And these guys, I I performed Wrecking Ball um, with the product team that I'm on. And I think I did a good job. And these guys were like, oh, that was good. And they had accents and I thought they were Australian. So I was like, are you guys from Australia? And they're like, no, we're from the UK. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm I'm drunk and I'm just going to fuck with these guys. So I kept on saying that they were from Australia and then I would say, you guys are from South Africa. And <laughs> I kept, and they were getting so mad. Um and then their friend was like, well, if you if you're going to say that we're from Australia, I'm going to and this is just something Australians say comfortably is like they they call you a cunt. Like and I guess I have to mark this episode as explicit now. But <laughs> and, and they're like, uh, so they they thought it would be funny to start calling me that. And instead, I had there were all these girls at the uh, karaoke bar that really enjoyed my performance of Wrecking mm-hmm. Ball. Mm-hmm. So I went up to them and I'm like, "You guys, this guy's calling me a cunt over there." And they walked <laughs> up to them and they're like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Ooh." <laughs> I'm a menace to society. Um, Mommy wants some chaos. (laughs) Mommy wants some chaos. And then I told uh, the – I'm going to stop because I (laughs) – it's like I shouldn't talk about what um, other people at the company did. But it was was super fun. We all like did a songwriting uh, thing where we went to an actual recording studio and worked with people to write a song. And uh, it was a blast. It was a true blast. Um, so yeah, I'm not drinking this week because I drank. You're recovering. Recovering. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Joyce, what's up with you? How are things? I'm doing well. But wait, I want to ask you a question about the the, the mechanical bull. Did mm, that mm-hmm. come into the wrecking ball performance? S- surprisingly, no. Okay, um, okay. I, I was pretty much my lane was. Uh, my lane was the karaoke and, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I was wearing a jumpsuit that was like a little too tight in the shoulders. And I truly would have hulked out if I ever did it. (laughs) Uh, uh, But uh, several people at the company did go on the, the mechanical bill and they did a good job. So, but do you, do you go on the mechanical bull and perform karaoke or is it like a separate activity? No, no, no. You can watch the people bull riding while you're doing karaoke, but if you're paying attention to that while you're doing karaoke, are you really doing? karaoke i don't um, know that, that's, that could be like next level karaoke it could be i don't know I bet um, there's competitive karaoke oh wait 
that's yeah that's different though that's like singing competitions yeah but that like there's acapella ones like acapella Mm -hmm. competitions Mm -hmm, i'm mm -hmm. sure that there's singing or like karaoke yeah and i feel like karaoke is a different category because like people who are good at karaoke aren't like the best of singers but they're fantastic performers right that's how i would judge it (laughs) I get, yeah. I mean, I guess in, until we have this competition, we don't know how people will vote. Uh, will they mm-hmm. vote for someone totally off key, but a hell of a performance? Uh, does it have to be a blend of both? Who's to say? Who's to say? Who's to say? But speaking of karaoke, <laughs> hey, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this as a heavy, heavy transition. Um, our guest today, I'm super excited to introduce our guest because we have uh, we have uh, partaken in the karaoke together. And I will say that he is a fantastic karaoke, but we won't talk about that as much unless he wants to um, because we want to introduce Greg. Hello. We hello, have done karaoke together and it was great. <laughs> it's always great. But yeah. uh, welcome to our show, Greg. So Happy glad you're here. here with us. Um, why don't you introduce yourself and what you do? Sure. My name is Greg Cuellar and my most recent job was at a company called Affirm where I was a product design manager and I led our consumer product design organization. That's Wait, I'm shook right now because I've never actually heard your last name pronounced. <laughs> and it's a tricky one, no question. It is. I'm I feel like I can't move on with this interview. I like <laughs> because we work together too and I would see your name. Um okay, I'll get over it. Uh Quayar? Quayar? Quayar, yeah, you got it. Well Quayar. that tells me, Jen, that you never took Spanish in high school because if you did, you might remember that in Spanish two L's are pronounced as a Y. Um, jokes on you. I took four years. So oh. it's on me or on you, actually. <laughs> no, it's on me. I failed the last uh the last <laughs> time I tried taking it. Um okay. So really quick before we get into the career, what's your go-to karaoke song? Great question. Uh, well, I think I have to go with No Diggity by Blackstreet. That is a mm. great song. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that gets Joyce the crowd. Joyce has seen it in action. Yep, it's uh, it's pretty fantastic. I will say, um, another song that always reminds me of you. <laughs> we could cut this if you, <laughs> if you want. Um, uh, um, call me maybe. Oh, <gasps> Carly Ray Jepsen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, yeah. that was like song of the summer for whatever year that came out. Great for song. many years, I, I think it's an evergreen. I think that's an evergreen. I agree. Mm-hmm. And you know, her follow-up album, Emotion, was one of the best pop albums of the decade. Some might say, in this case, some is. Said it. You said it. I remember you saying that exact thing when we were working together. <laughs> yeah, you were. Well, you were such. A- <laughs> I'm a fan. What can I say? <laughs> Wow. I, I feel like it. shots are fired all over the place, but I don't know uh, to who exactly. Uh, who I don't know who, like, because I was going to say Taylor Swift, but that's not pop. I think she's folk now? No, yeah, she's she pop, kinda, right? She kind of moved back into folk, right? Oh. Like, she started as, like, kind of country, went into pop, now it's kind of more folky. She's mm-hmm. just a, you know, multifaceted superstar. What can you say? Well, so, <laughs> sounds like you're a fan of hers as well. So, uh... come on now. <laughs> okay. But actually, we should, uh, talking about your de- product design experience, one thing that I did want to say is um, I didn't know for the longest time that you actually studied computer science. I did, yeah. Mm. And you started um, working as a product designer. So it was just 
like you made that big jump. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's kind of how I got into product design, where I studied computer science in school. And as I was taking all these engineering classes, I thought, this is really interesting and cool. Like it's really exercising my brain and I like making things. But at the time, this was kind of like in the early 2000s, I had perhaps a mistaken idea of what engineers do, which is that they would sit in a cubicle by themselves, not talking to anyone and just coding away. And perhaps some engineers prefer to work that way. But I know now in real life that many engineers are wonderful collaborative folks uh, like Joyce. Um, (laughs) And I thought to myself, I don't know if that's quite right for me, because the parts that were the most interesting of the work that I was doing uh, as an engineering student were the parts of building software that other people might use. Uh, And I really was enjoying my psychology classes that I took so much so that I ended up getting Mm. a minor in psychology. So I ended up kind of specializing into this area of uh, computer science that that Stanford offered where you can, like some people specialize in these like more arcane areas of like compilers and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, operating systems and algorithms. But there's this other subspecialty that at the time, and maybe still now, I actually don't know, was called human computer interaction or HCI. Mm-hmm. And that in particular was all about how people use computers. And it wasn't just about Mm. the underlying technology behind it, but rather like, well, what is actually the interface between the person using the the software and then the computer itself? So that's what I ended up specializing in. And that's what that kind of glide path into your product design looked like for me. Mm. That kind of seems like the perfect landing point for someone that was in psychology and computer science. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of this, you know, the product design is this wonderful mix of like communication theory and like psychology, like cognitive psychology, and of course, engineering and kind of this interesting mix of like business stuff as well. So that's what makes it like endlessly interesting for me that is this really fun intersection of all these different fields. And because you're designing stuff for humans, and humans are endlessly complex. The job is always different. No matter what company you're at, it's always going to be new and exciting. Even at the same company, the next round of people that use your software might use it in a totally different way that you weren't expecting. And then it's mm-hmm. really fun and interesting. Now, is there a difference between someone at, let's say, a tech company that is titled as a product designer versus designer? Um, it's a good question. So yeah, the, the, the field probably has a lot of different titles that you could have. When I first got into the field, my title was interaction designer, which was kind Ooh. of this like subspecialty that was all about, again, if you remember that my, my degree was in human computer interaction, well, that interaction word like comes into play there. So yeah. that felt like a, like a good title at the time. Um, but I think these days, yeah, the, the most common title that someone would have would be a product designer. And then kind of in more casual conversation, you would say, oh, I'm a designer. Um, but it helps to clarify, like, well, am I a clothing designer? Am I an architect? Like, well, no, I'm a product designer, like a digital product designer. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And I'll also say this, too, because when I f- started my first higher up position at a tech company, someone told me about the product team and I was like, cool, they make the clothing. And then I realized it wasn't, it's actually designing the uh, the online experience or the app experience. So just in case anyone's hearing product designer and they're like, clothing, um, it's the, the website experience. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you work at Pepsi, like the product is the soda, but mm-hmm. Pepsi also has a website, right? They also, for all I know, have an app these days. There's all sorts of digital products that come to play there. So when you work at a big tech company like Google or Facebook or, or Uber, really when they're talking about the product, they mean the thing when you go to google.com, that's the product. In the case of Google, they have like a gazillion products, right? But that's what we talk about. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then, like, what what I mean, I, I can probably guess this, but I'm curious from your perspective. Like, what what is your day to day entail as a product designer? Yeah, well, I think the interesting part is that it's really varied. Um, so in in the world of, and perhaps you've covered this in on previous episodes, uh, in the world of a product organization at a tech company, there's a lot of different jobs that kind of work together to ultimately make that thing, that website, that app that you're using. Uh, but oftentimes, people talk about these three core jobs of a software engineer, a product designer, and a product manager. Um, and the three of these each have lots of different roles and responsibilities, but in very broad strokes, you can think of them as, well, the engineer is working on actually like building and developing that software. The product manager is really focused on like the business side of things. Like, are people going to want this? Are they going to pay for it? How does this fit into our company's strategy? And then the product designer is the one actually saying, okay, well, how is this thing going to work? Like, what does it look like? Are there buttons in it? What happens when you click this button? Does it go to a different page? All that kind of stuff. So as a product designer, you spend a lot of your time in uh, like graphic design apps. So back in the day, this would be like Photoshop or Illustrator. These Mm -hmm. days, there are dedicated applications that are made for product designers. These are applications like Sketch or Figma. And you're spending a lot of time, frankly, drawing stuff. And you're saying, okay, well, if I'm a, a product designer at Facebook, and I'm working on the Facebook app, I'm working on the news feed, I probably have lots and lots and lots of screenshots of different variations of that feed. What if I put this button there? What if I make it blue instead of green? All that kind of stuff. So a lot of your time is spent on that. Um, But a lot of your time is spent in more uh, kind of collaborative things too, where it's not just up to you how this uh, app is going to work. You have to work with your PM partners, product managers. You have to work with your engineering partners. And you have to work with your kind of greater constellation of partners too. Think marketing, sales, legal, compliance, all Mm -hmm. sorts of other wonderful teams. Uh, So you end up in a lot of meetings where you're trying to kind of balance the needs of these different teams in the organization to then ultimately synthesize them into a product that you know the customer is going to love. And how do you know the customer is going to love that? Well, another big part of what a product designer does is often validating or testing the thing that you're building with Mm -hmm. customers. So maybe you'll print out a screenshot of something you're looking on or build like a really quick and dirty prototype, show it to a potential customer and ask them questions about it. Does it work? Does it not work? Do they like it? Do they not like it? Um, And you're spending time actually figuring out, okay, well, this thing that I thought was going to work really well actually totally bombed. And Mm -hmm. that's, and for a product designer, kind of disappointing, but also kind of exciting because you're like, oh, I thought it was going to work this way and it really didn't. So these customers are working in a different way than I thought they would. Let me learn more about that. And then it's a really iterative process. So everything I just described, you basically loop that over and over and over again. It's almost like uh, carving a statue out of marble. You have your first rough cut where you're like, oh, I can see like a, a hand here or a head here, but like, oh, actually it needs to be something a little bit different. So you kind of like tweak it and like sand it down. And then at the end, hopefully you have Michelangelo's David, but the dirty mm. secret of product design is that you actually, most of the time, don't get there in your first version. Uh, maybe some people do, good for them. I know I don't. The first version I put out, I'm thinking, eh, this isn't quite perfect, but I'd rather learn more quickly by, by launching something and getting it into the hands of our actual customers and then coming back and building a version two. Damn, that was poetic. Uh-huh. That was very good. You know, I, I'm, 
I have some questions about the design component and kind of the artistic abilities needed, but I wanted to throw something by you first. So a couple of the things that you said, it actually reminded me a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And the idea that, you know, you got to get something down on paper, but that's not going to, you're not going to get it in the first pass. Like you're always going to get it in the edits and the drafts. And the, something that I think about with movies too is sometimes the movies that suck, you realize have gone through a lot of rewrites and different Mm -hmm. teams have worked on them. And it's, there's not like this one specific vision uh, that ties it all together and just feels like. There's, I, I could be wrong. I don't know if you, you're a writer in your uh, like personal life, but it just, it was reminding me a lot of some of those kind of ways of thinking about writing. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're spot on. I think that there is a lot of similarities as a product designer to other creative fields, like mm-hmm. writing, mm-hmm. like making movies, like making music. Um, they're certainly different in, 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 in a lot of ways, of course, but I think you're spot on that there's that creative process that is and sometimes like harder to describe and you have that lightning bolt moment of like, whoa, this is really it. But also sometimes there's not a lightning bolt and you're just banging your head against mm. this thing and, and, and iterating over and over and over again until you have like the least bad version. And you're <laughs> like, okay, let's just get this out there. See how people react to it. Version two is going to be killer. And be, your your path to becoming a product designer is really interesting on the artistic side because when I think of a designer, I think you know needing to be able to sketch, needing to be able to draw, and I don't know kind of what your experience was going into this role, but how much do you need to be able to draw and be <laughs> art, artistic and know what you're doing on that front? Yeah, it's a great question. So for me personally, I am not artistic in that way. Like I'm not, I don't think of myself as super creative in in that way. I think that uh, a lot of designers are, but a lot aren't. And I think there's multiple ways to get into product design. I mean, as with any field, there's sort of like subspecialties of it. Like a, uh, someone who's really good at prototyping is a really valuable skill to have a product designer where instead of just having a screenshot of something and saying, what do you think? They can actually hack together something that feels like the app that you're building mm-hmm. in a really quick and dirty way. And that's a pretty specific skill. It's kind of verging into perhaps engineering, uh, you know, a little bit of that kind of like pulling screens together in a way that mm-hmm. actually looks right. Um, so that's just an example of kind of this sub area of that. But the greater point is that there's a lot of areas, like no one's good at all these different areas as a product designer. So for me personally, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I'm really good at, as opposed to things that I'm not so good at, is in the more like strategy side of things. And Joyce and I worked very closely together at, mm-hmm. at, at Shift thinking about this kind of stuff. So she can confirm or deny this. But I confirm. About, Thank you. <laughs> why would someone use this? Like, hold on a sec. Like, what are we even building here? Like, why would we make this feature? Do customers even want this? And how do we get really clear about the problem that customers are having and how we think we might solve that problem? And that's a really important part of the entire sort of product pipeline, but especially as a product designer. But of course, there's also this like, well, there's the execution uh, of the designs. How do you actually make your, your level up your craft so that when you actually are putting pen to paper or your mouse to your, to your computer in this case, it actually looks really beautiful and, and fits in with the rest of your product or the rest of your website, whatever it is. So that's an area for me 
that I didn't really start out very strong in. Uh, you know, coming from that computer science background that we talked about earlier meant that I didn't really know. I didn't. I didn't have a fine arts degree or a graphic mm. design degree or anything like that. Uh, and it turns out that as and as I've gone through my career as a product designer, I've had to get better at that. Where now I would call myself like passable. I get it done, but it's <laughs> not my strength. Whereas I've worked with other folks where that very much is their strength. They're so good at that. And perhaps those folks came from a fine arts background or a graphic design background. Um, but for them, they have their strengths in other areas that aren't as strong too. Uh, like w- one of the things we like to talk about as a, I think like product community, especially in product design, is this idea of a T-shaped person. And mm-hmm. has this come up in any previous conversations y'all have had? I can't a remember if it was recorded. Person? Yeah, like the, yeah. I've definitely heard it, but um, I don't think it was caught on the recording. Yeah, well, the, the quick summary of it is that you, you can, we like to imagine our, ourselves and our, our skills in the workplace as this sort of T shape. Think of a capital T where there's a big bar on top and this big vertical bar underneath it, where the big bar on top is horizontal. And that sort of represents this breadth of skills where I'm maybe okay at a bunch of different things. Um, And then you think about the bar that goes down the middle. That's my depth of skill. And there's one area, that bar, that I'm really good at. So this is something that we look for uh, in product designers where they can come in and they can say, hey, I'm a T-shaped person. I've got this one area that I'm best at. And maybe that's strategy. Maybe that's research. Maybe that's uh, visual design. But also I can get it done in a bunch of other areas, that bar that goes across the top. So this is kind of like a, a way that we like to simplify our skills and then kind of share with each other, okay, here's the areas that I feel like I'm best in, even though I'm still capable of working across the entire spectrum of skills needed to be a successful product designer in kind of today's tech company culture. Hmm. And you kind of touched on it, but um, it's it's interesting to hear that there's like different kind of strength areas and that like diversity of like different types of product designers, you listed a few of them, but like the kind of bottom part of the T, like the depth area. Yeah. Um, what are those? Like there's, you mentioned the strategic version, which is kind of like where you are at um, and visual design as well as research. Are those the main three or are yeah, there there's more? Probably, probably a few more, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, uh, you kind of think about it like moving through the product creation process. Like what are all the steps that a product designer has to do? when they're building an app or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. really early on, there's that strategy side, exactly what we just highlighted. And that's an important skill where you need to be able to figure out what are we doing and why, who is mm-hmm. it for, all that kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. There's Then there's that kind of like next step of, okay, well, what are the kind of like, the, the sketched outline of how this thing is going to work? And this is what some people might call like interaction design where you're not really yet concerned with the details of, okay, is the button right here or is it just a little bit down or is the button green or is it blue? Mm-hmm. You're not really worried about that yet. You're more worried about like, am I building something that people really want? And what are the actual steps to uh, to let them accomplish what they're trying to do in the app or website or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Then there's kind of that research phase that you also mentioned. That's a really important one of validating. Is this actually something that people want? And then there's often that, that last stage of the visual design, the actual craft of making it look great. And even then, that's actually not really everything. There are certain other areas that someone might specialize in and still be considered a product designer. Um, this depends on the size of the company. Like at a really big company, you start to have specialized roles for each of these. But at a really small startup, 
and you're probably the only one or one of two product designers, you're doing all of this stuff. And that might include communication design, where someone has to design the flyers that your company makes and the, the, the emails that you send out. There's also mm. brand design, where someone has to figure out what the logo of your company is and what was the logo green or blue or all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's other things like prototyping that I mentioned earlier. That's kind of a more specific skill as well. Uh, so there's there's quite a few, and I'm probably even missing some right now. But I think that's that's kind of the, the magic of this particular role where, uh, much like many other types of careers, there's not just one way to do it. There's a lot of different ways to bring whatever your unique skills are to the table. And you know, earlier, Joyce, you mentioned, you know, what does it look like building diverse design teams? That's something that I'm personally really passionate about, especially now that I moved in more of a management role. Diversity mm-hmm. means a lot of things, but one of them in the world of product designers is this kind of diversity, where what is that, that special skill that you bring to the table and mm-hmm. how does it fit in with the rest of the team? Where when I think about building diverse teams, one of the areas I think about them is, well, I don't want to hire people that have the exact same kind of brain that I do, that mm-hmm. my brain is cool and all, but if you have a team of five Gregs, they're not going to do great work. I want to bring in people who <laughs> are different shapes of T-shaped people that can come in and kind of work complementarily to each other, if that's a word. Yeah. I think um, complementary is a word. Complementary. Complementarily. Complementarily. Um, and I should also say, if you heard a sound just a second ago, it was because- I was going to ask. It was the Pepsi app um, that I downloaded, and it just started making a pouring of Pepsi sound. And That's it's amazing. Pepsi doesn't actually have its own app, but there's Pepsi Saudi Arabia, and that's the one that I downloaded. Oh, um, but there's also Pepsi Lebanon. Um, so I'm so sorry. It was like I just downloaded it a while ago when we were first talking about it, and I looked at it, and um, so I'm so sorry. But you know, Pepsi as sponsor a, us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it make you want an ice cold Pepsi. Um, you know, no, because I was like, <laughs> you're making me look like an <laughs> asshole on this <laughs> podcast. Um, so yeah, Greg, how do you take into consideration someone just uh, fucking around with the app? Um, let me ask you this though. Um, okay, so for the design side. And you are getting to that point now of the process where you're like, where does this button go? Uh Is it just where it feels right? Like, I think it should go here. This is what feels intuitive. Or do you have a background or does someone on a team typically have the background of kind of the psychology of why something needs to go where it is or what color it might be? What's the background you have on that? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's it's a mix of both. And there's this third factor as well of just like pattern matching where you're like, oh, I've done this before. So I know that mm-hmm. the best way to do it is this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the truth is that, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants in the, in the realm of kind of visual design and color theory and typography and, mm. you know, product designers base a lot of their kind of, uh, kind of their execution off of work that's been done, not just digitally, but think about print and magazines and newspapers and all that kind of stuff for decades in the past. So yeah, there, there isn't always necessarily a right answer for like, mm. oh, the button should go here, but there are best practices and there are sort of heuristics that you follow. And this is often, you know, if someone takes like a product design bootcamp, these are the kind of things that they learn mm. in that bootcamp. Um, or if they go to a four-year school, of course, they would learn them there as well. But it's like, Okay, well, the general best practice is that when there's a next button, 
that button goes on the right because our culture reads from left to right. So that means that when you're finished with something, your eye is on the right side of the app or the page. So the next button should be there. Well, where does the back button go? Well, that usually lives on the left because then you're going to the left there. So there's, there's certain rules like that that you, you kind of learn. Uh, you can burn both academically or also just learn on the job, learn by doing. Um, and then I think much like many other creative processes, part of the magic starts to happen when there isn't a rule for this. What should I yeah. do? Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of what you were saying where like, well, you, you need to kind of follow your gut to take a first stab at it. But the fun thing about product design is that it's it's kind of like being a stand-up comic where how do you know if a joke works? Well, you tell the joke and if the audience laughs, it worked. So unlike a drama where like, well, was that was that good? I don't know. No one's clapping. No one's laughing. So oh my product God, design, yes. Wait, did you know that Jen was... Is a stand-up been doing stand-up. I did not know that, but oh my I want to hear all about it. Well, okay. So I'm going to go deep into this one because I one of the things with doing stand-up and open mics is you try a joke out and it maybe it doesn't hit, maybe it does hit, but your audience is usually like typically white males in the audience, right? And mm-hmm. so their response for open mics, I should say, their response is gauging a reaction of one type of person versus a show where that might be a more diverse crowd. And so it can sometimes be misleading in the reaction that you get um, because it's sometimes these hyper-focused groups. And I imagine that the research component and the validation is what goes into this. But how do you think about that in building something that works for the major majority of who needs to be using it? Yeah, that's a great question and definitely something that we wrestle with when we're building products mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. sometimes you're building a product that's hyper-specific. If I'm building like an insulin pump or an insulin monitor while I go talk to folks who have diabetes. But if I'm building <laughs> Facebook, Facebook is for everyone and it's and you know if you ask Mark Zuckerberg, it's probably literally for everyone. So, mm-hmm. well, how do I then know who to talk to? So that is definitely a challenge, but kind of in overall, you're exactly right where, where, where you're just getting at, which is that you try it out and then you're making sure that you know your audience. Who is this for? Who mm-hmm. are we designing this for? Who are we building this product for? And how do we make sure that we are actually then going to test it with those people? So I have a story about this uh, one job a couple jobs ago was all about trying to help folks who were freelancers or independent workers get health insurance. And when you live in San Francisco and you're working at a tech startup in San Francisco, well, everyone around you probably works a nine to five job and they're often white and and often white males even. And how do we then talk to folks who are, uh, you know, Etsy sellers or contractors and some other sort, maybe they're an Uber driver. So uh, at this job, when I wanted to talk to folks like that, I would try to actually just flag an Uber and hop in (laughs) and be like, hey, this is really weird, but I have this app that I want to show you and it's for people (laughs) like you and it's to help you get health insurance. Can you give me some feedback on it? And some people would be like, this is weird. No, thank you. And I'd be like, okay, (laughs) just drive me around the block and then, you know, you'll get your, 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 the the ride fare. But other people are like, yeah, beats driving. So we would just... (laughs) pull over the corner, let the meter run, and then get some feedback on it. And that same job, we were like, man, we want to talk to even more people than we're talking to right now. So the company flew us all out in pairs 
to different places around the country. So I went down mm. to LA and then San Diego after that to talk to folks down there just to get out of that San Francisco Silicon Valley bubble. So right. you're, you're exactly right that you, you, it's important to understand who my target audience is, but then also understand when I'm actually testing this or validating this. Did I actually talk to my target audience there? If something worked, is it going to work with the real people that we really want to have this, uh, have the app, you know, we're, we're building it for? And that's another reason I was sort of saying earlier that uh, how wonderful it is when you actually launch something and you're getting real feedback on it. That's mm-hmm. when the rubber hits the road, right? And that's kind of the magic of, of tech where it's quote unquote easy to launch something and, and get it out there. Where unlike, you know, your, your story of open mics, it's hard to fill a, a huge audience with, with folks and, and, and actually see, oh, does this joke land in a, in a full on stadium? Like, well, those are very different, the, the small audience and the large audience. So with, with tech jobs, it's often quote unquote easy to launch something and get that real feedback from real honest to God users. Yeah, and I can relate to that uh, because I am doing uh, stadium tours uh, with my stand-up right <laughs> now. Uh, we covered this before the podcast started. Yeah, <laughs> Swift is opening for me. Um, I'm kind of a big no. I'm not. Uh, I don't. I don't do anything. Um, um, really quick, I just want to check in on something. There's been a couple of times that Facebook has been mentioned, and I just want to get a, a, a consensus. Are we allowed to make fun of Facebook uh, in this episode, or is uh, do do we want to do we want to not? Uh, I think we can make fun of them as long as we call it Meta. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to uh, put that in the back of my mind because if I can take pot shots at Meta, I will. Um, but I wanted to be respectful. So, um, sorry, I'm getting off track. Um, so now, okay, I'm going to ask one more question kind of on the same path that we were on before. So similar to stand up, and I think a lot of creative endeavors is when you try to make something for everyone, you make something for no one and having a really defined point of view that maybe doesn't even take into consideration the, like it's, it considers the consumer, but it is really coming from the point of view of the product designer making it. Is there any balance there or as far as like what leads the project? Because I do think that there is uh, a lot of very impressive projects I do believe come from the idea of like, look, I have a very clear vision on this. And when we start like adding all this stuff in, it dilutes it. When you try to make it for everyone, it dilutes it. It, does that come into play with product design or is it more consumer driven and you have to really keep in mind who your audience is when you're designing something? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely both. So I'll, I'll give kind of a weaselly answer where it is both <laughs> important for you to have a clear perspective on what you're doing, who is it for, what is the problem that we're solving, how are we going to solve that problem? But it's also important to make sure that it actually is useful for those people, right? Where mm-hmm. if you're just building something for the sake of it being out there, that verges mm-hmm. a little more into art as opposed to uh, like a product that people are going to use where usability mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but you made a great point just a second ago, which is that if you're trying to build something for everyone, you're building it for no one. And that is like a classic mistake that a lot of small companies make where they have this idea to scratch an itch, I think is a phrase that people often use where it's like, this mm-hmm. is just a really annoying thing. I'm going to build a product that solves that one thing. Right. And then that works. And they're like, we are geniuses. We're going to ride this thing to the moon. We're now going to launch all these other things that are going to solve all these problems that everyone's ever had before. And mm-hmm. then the company goes kaput. 
where you, you just lost sight of that kind of core need that you're trying to solve. So it's a really tricky balance. And I think it's a, a classic challenge that a lot of companies that are trying to grow from being smaller to being mid-sized to being larger have. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, especially with this focus on like impacting the customer, especially in light of like, like speaking of meta, right? Like in light of a lot of the social impact that like tech products have had, um, how do, how does the design community think about like almost like unforeseen consequences of like social impact from tech products? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I feel like people are talking more about this now than I've ever heard in the past. Where right. Mm-hmm. It, you know, for, for better or for worse, and in this case, it means for worse. I think <laughs> there was this feeling of um, the 80-20 rule is all that matters. I'm going to solve something for that big group of 80% of people. And if it doesn't work for that 20%, that's okay. And sort of on the surface, that seems pretty reasonable. It's like, well, I don't want to have to build for all these weird edge cases for people that maybe you know uh, aren't kind of my core audience. Mm-hmm. But if you're hard of hearing or blind or, par- or partially sighted, you're not in that eighty percent group. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. are you then locked out of using you know the Facebook app or or an Uber app or, or things like that? That's not really okay. So the 80-20 rule maybe sometimes doesn't always apply, which I think is kind of an interesting, like more nuanced perspective of it. And, you know, as you're saying that the social impact of things where, you know, ultimately for a lot, probably not all, but a lot of these tech companies that we work for, they're for-profit companies. We have to make money to pay all of our salaries. And if we go out of business, well, then the good or service that we're making is no longer out there in the world. And Mm -hmm. that benefit is lost to its customers. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that our job is to kind of extract the most value that we can at all cost, and it doesn't matter who we run over to get there. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is, I think, this this big, um, both kind of a, an ongoing discussion in our day to day jobs, but also kind of in the you know the the, the think tanks that the people that you know conferences people that think about this for a living. Uh, mm-hmm. What does ethical design look like, and, right. and what does it mean to? build a product ethically and have it launch ethically and be used ethically. And uh, I think a lot of companies are uh, the struggle with that because sometimes that runs counter to making money. So how do you balance those things? It's a really tricky thing. I, I don't know. If, I, I know that I don't have the answer. I don't know if anyone really has the answer for that overall. It's something that you kind of have to evaluate in your day-to-day job. And, you know, we were talking earlier about this, this sort of triad of engineering, product management, product design, the product design organization or the product designer as an individual person often thinks of their role as being the voice of the customer where I'm standing up for what does the customer want here and how are mm-hmm. we going to deliver that to them? So that sometimes puts you at odds with other teams, for example, maybe like the business team that's saying, mm-hmm. hey, we need to make money from this. How do we get, what's the most that we can charge to make money here? Now, a really great business person knows that that's not how to price a product, right? It's like what the market will bear, supply and demand, et cetera, et cetera. But a big part of our role as a product designer is standing up for our customers and saying, yeah, like I get that if we make this link, you know, think about the classic like unsubscribe link that's super small and like in Mm -hmm. white text on a white background, like some (laughs) designer, quote unquote, made that and they made that decision. But Mm -hmm. you would hope that they were the voice of reason saying, yo, this sucks, we really shouldn't do this, and they got overruled, and that's 
sometimes how the chips fall, but part of our job is to be the one standing up for the customer in that type of scenario. And it seems like a good career path as far as a trajectory for someone that maybe gets into product design might even come from a customer experience, customer support, uh, customer success background. Because it's, you know, you start by speaking to the customer and that could be a career trajectory depending on kind of your assets of like what you're able to, like how you're able to be the T, where you are on the T. I don't think I get the T thing. So I'm sorry if I'm not using <laughs> it right. That was it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I feel very, uh, I feel very connected to what you're saying from the point of view of customer experience and customer right. support and customer service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I never realized how, much they were connected. Yeah, they're very connected. I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's, you know, earlier we were talking about what are the hard skills that a designer might have where, you know, prototyping, interaction, visual design, whatever. There's all these soft skills. And yeah. one of the most important soft skills, maybe the most important, is empathy. And, mm. you know, empathy, you know, Jen, you know, a thousand times more about this than, than I do. But I mm. imagine empathy might be rooted at the core of what uh, customer service type folks do as well. And I think there's there's definitely a lot of overlap there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and also, like, like just based on the experience that I've had working closely with you, Greg, um, like, there's a lot of that soft skill that has to come into play when it comes to that decision-making too. Like you said, like there's a lot of like standing up for the customer, being able to um, to translate like how this impacts our business um, in a way that actually like prioritizes it more and all those kinds of things. And um, is that is that just normal in terms of all design roles? Like do you see that as being like a consistent skill that designers, especially as they progress in their career, to want to build yeah. is that like that influencing role that like that um, I don't know that like persuasion it, role influencer. Yeah. You're like a Instagram influencer, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. But within the company, <laughs> I've got like a hot thirty followers on Instagram. So I'm good time. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Where you know. Uh, let's say I'm the most empathetic person in the world and I, I completely Vulcan mind meld with our customers and I can tell exactly what they want. That's not really useful if I can't convince anyone else on my team about what we should do, right? And it's not up to me. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't have all the power here. It's very much a collaborative effort with all these different roles. But if I can't influence people to, to think, oh, you know, maybe we should not make that unsubscribe button tiny and white on a white background, then it's all my other skills aren't really going to make a difference then. I've kind of thought about adapting gaslighting into my repertoire for getting what I want for the customer. Um, It's toxic, yes. But I feel like if I gaslit the other person, uh, I'd be like, yeah, you said we would do this. Like, no, I didn't. And I, no, this is, I've, I've been watching a lot of Inventing Anna and, uh, and oh God, there was another gaslighting thing. Oh, it was on Euphoria. But I've, because it can be so hard to convince people things that are emotional because they will, they will latch onto the fact that it is kind of emotional and it's harder to prove. So yeah, what I'm just trying to say is I, I think I'm going to start trying to gaslight instead. 
I think you would have a strong career doing that. They're, they're actually <laughs> a, a fun uh, side note for our, our listeners at home in the product design world. There's this idea of dark patterns. I mentioned earlier that you know, well, how do you know what to do? Like, well, you're sort of building on the the ideas of others, and you're following existing patterns. This is the idea of dark patterns, which is things like making it hard to find the button you're looking for because that button would make the company lose money, the unsubscribe or cancel subscription button. So if you've ever tried to cancel like a, like a magazine subscription or something mm-hmm. and the sign-up button is big and glowing and, and gigantic and to cancel, you have to call them instead. There's right. no button on the website. That's what we call a dark pattern and uh, gaslighting would for sure fall into that. But I would want to use gaslighting within the company to tell people not to do dark patterns. But then, <laughs> for good. Uh, you're I using see. it for good. But then, they, but then they would be like, oh, but no, then we'd have too many cancellations. And I'd be like, but you said that we could do this. Like, <laughs> like I'm trying to do the Anna Delvey, but like you said this was, you said it was shipped. You said it already was done. Get it done. And they're like, we never said that. I'm like, yes, you did. You are crazy. You said you were going to do this. You said we were going to make a cancel button on the site. You said this, and they're using your evil powers for good. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want to do. Yeah, I think a lot of like, like that's where metrics seem to come into play. And like, I know we touched on this a little bit before, but like, kind of like measuring what the key outputs are Mm -hmm. that like you that actually matter, and then trying to be aligned on the metrics. I feel like that that's always what I've always leaned to in terms of like when I. When the the kind of like softer side, the emotional based or like the hard to prove side, um, is is not like actually making an impact. I think that like I don't know, Greg. When you and I were working together, we leaned a lot on the metrics. Yeah, for sure. I think that's but, super smart. Yep. But if and the if, metric is we need to reduce cancellation, how do you how do you avoid dark patterns like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly what I was going to say. That when mm-hmm. it, when it's something like we're trying to get more signups. Oh, great! We're right. all aligned on that metric, and whatever we can do to boost that, hooray! If company's making more money. But when the metric is something we all agree on, oh, we want to reduce cancellations, that can sometimes lead down to this path of making things uh, not as good for the customers. So it's it's a tough mm-hmm. balance. Um, you know, this is something that I've experienced at a lot of companies that I've worked at where you can make something a worse experience for the customer, but it ends up being better for the business. And mm-hmm. that's just a, it's a really tough situation to be in. And that's when, you know, Joyce, you're saying getting aligned on metrics, like that's really important, but also getting aligned on principles is really right. important where right. getting everyone in the room, including sometimes your higher ups, your VPs, your CEO, whatever it is to say, okay, yeah, we're trying to reduce cancellations here, but one of our overall product principles is do right by the user or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, well, I guess we shouldn't just like hide the cancellation button or or whatever it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, God bless California because I feel like California has so many consumer laws that everyone has to abide by that – because in California – if you can sign up online, you are not allowed to – you have to be able to cancel online, I think, is the rule. Mm, yeah. I know Europe is leading the way in a lot of these types of privacy laws and, yeah. as well. So mm-hmm. hoping that some of them will come our way. I mean, California has that – I forget what the acronym is, but they have their own privacy law that's happening. So there's, there's some good happening there, even at the kind of government and legislative level. 
Uh, but yeah. ultimately, you know, it's, it's, it's roles like the product designer. That's when the rubber hits the road. You've got to actually launch something. It's very Star Wars-y, you know? Like, are you going to go down the Darth Vader route? Or are you going to go down the good character route? Yeah, you know, the good character. Know the, 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 was. Star the, Wars, the, little known Joyce, film. Do a, do a voiceover <laughs> of us filling <laughs> <laughs> Look, are you Darth Vader or are you whoever that other guy is? Oh, who are the other guy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I've often <laughs> compared my career path to Star Wars, so I'm glad that we're we're, we're lined up on that. That's yeah, cool. bunch of nerds over here. <laughs> yeah, knowing but, um, all the names. <laughs> but I wanted to ask about like um, the industry leaders. You know, in terms of like you know the the product designers that are out there that you like the the community sees as like success stories. Are they? Do they tend to be more Darth Vader like, or do they tend to be more Luke Skywalker like? Uh, tell me more about this Luke guy. I haven't. I haven't heard about. Yeah, him. Yeah, 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 it's a deep cut right there. Honestly, to, not a lot of people to look are gonna up. know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah to do it. We we pause for ten minutes while we look that up. <laughs> um, you know, that's a that's a good question, and luckily, uh, it's what you would hope, which is that I think that the people that we aspire to be and that we look up to are more on the Luke Skywalker side. And in Woo! fact, there's a lot of really great uh, kind of um, thought leaders in this area who are the ones pushing back against some of the more, uh, I'm not going to say evil, because evil is a strong word for this kind of thing, but some of the more janky stuff that you see out there, they're the ones mm -hmm. kind of calling those companies out and saying like, hey... I can stand up and, and be the voice of, of your customers here. Like, this sucks. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's cool. Now, um, say, so say someone doesn't have any computer science background. They Maybe they're in a career of customer service, um, very, like, entry level as it pertains to getting into product design. What are the hurdles there or what steps should they take if they wanted to start moving in the direction of doing mm. something in the world of product design? Maybe yeah. even outside of customer service and customer Well, service. yeah. Just someone that doesn't have any like background, like they don't have, let's say they don't have a college degree that uh, pertains to the particulars of product design. Someone very entry level into the, the, the role. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the good news is uh, a lot of the folks that I've worked with over the years as product designers don't have that kind of background. That I, I would mm -hmm. actually say that someone like me who has a more technical background is actually more unusual. Um, I don't know what the percentages are, but certainly, you know, twenty percent or, or less have the kind of background that I have. Um, so there's a lot of really great ways to get into product design, and I don't think anyone should feel like, oh well. I'm not an engineer. I don't know about that techie stuff. I, I, I can't do this job. That's not at all the case. Um, so I would say a couple of things. One is just start kind of thinking with a critical eye when you're, when you're using your favorite app on your phone or a website or even like physical products. The next time you're using your microwave or turning on your oven. Have you ever had those moments where you're like, God, this thing is stupid. Like, why do I have to do this mm -hmm. this way? This is totally dumb. We all have those moments in our day-to-day -day lives. The classic one is like the, you know, pushing on a door that's pull only. That was a poorly designed door, right? Someone out there designed that door. They designed that door handle and they blew it. And every day people are pushing the wrong way on that thing. So try to kind of like come at it with that designer's eye and say, oh, this thing is screwy. How would I make it better? Oh, maybe I'll put a little sign on it. Oh, no one's going to read a sign. What if I form the handle a different way? kind of thinking about it from from that problem solving perspective that mm -hmm. I think will get you starting to think like a product designer. 
Uh, and then from there, there's actually a lot of stuff that you can do just on your own where, you know, what does it look like when I'm, I'm, you know, I'm using my favorite app, I'm using Facebook over here. And I'm like, you know what would make this better if it did it in this way? Well, grab that sketch pad, grab, grab your pen and start drawing it out. How would I make this thing look a little bit better? Um, I think when folks are getting started in the product design uh, field, they're, they're coming out of college maybe in a different area, or even when they're coming out of like a boot camp, something like that, one of the questions that I get a lot is, well, I don't really have that much in my portfolio because I haven't really worked anywhere yet. Mm -hmm. So how do I show off the work that I've done if I don't have any work? And the answer is, well, you don't need to have worked somewhere to have a portfolio. Just mm -hmm. say, how would I redesign Snapchat? How would I redesign the Uber app? And actually just do it. And then boom, mm -hmm. suddenly you have a portfolio piece. Yeah, sure. It didn't actually launch. It didn't actually work at Uber. But you had the ideas of how it should work. You can have like a whole flow laid out. You click this, it goes there, you do that. You could even do user testing. You could put it in front of your mm -hmm. friends or mm -hmm. your husband mm -hmm. or your wife and say, hey, what do you think about this thing? And get feedback and iterate based on that. I love hearing stories like that from kind of uh, entry-level folks when they're trying to get into product design because that shows that uh, that that kind of can-do attitude. They're like, hey, mm -hmm. this is interesting. I, I want to dig into this. Like they're showing that 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 inspiration of, of what they might be able to do to give them a chance. And that's really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we are nearing the end of our time. So I want to switch it over to lightning round. Okay. Mm. Jen, do you have any lightning round questions? Yeah. What do you think someone can do if they are trying to get into this field to stand out in the application process? Mm. Well, so a, an important part here is having a portfolio. If you don't have anything to show, so interestingly, like that's actually what I look at more when I'm reviewing a candidate. Yeah, your resume looks great. You worked here. Right. You did this. You went to school there. But design is one of those interesting things where it's like, okay, well, show me what you can do. So having mm. a great portfolio that shows off your best work that you're most proud of, that is going to make you stand out. Cool. Joyce? Okay. So Greg, I know you're a very young man with a with a long career mm -hmm. in product design. Um, across all your years, what are the things, what are the areas of um, your work that continue to give you energy? Um, and what are the areas that uh, drain your energy? Mm. I think the things that give me energy are anytime I'm like solving a problem for one of our customers, or as, as we call them in the biz, users, which is a very funny way to refer to our customers. Um, <laughs> Anytime I do that, and then I'm able to actually like hear from them, like, oh yeah, like this actually really helped me get health insurance, and I wasn't able to do that mm. before, and now I can go see the doctor. Like that is deeply, deeply satisfying for me, and really keeps me coming back to design, which is ultimately about solving problems for humans, and, and that's mm -hmm. I think that gets me excited. What drains me? Um, yeah, there's a lot of things, I guess, you know, as with any job, it's not all roses. Don't get me wrong. I, I love design. I've been lucky to really have one main career throughout my entire time being mm -hmm. uh, uh, an adult. So uh, that, that makes me feel fortunate that I've found a, a, uh, an area that I really love. But there are some things that are draining. Um, some of the conversations we kind of alluded to earlier, where you're bumping up against one of your coworkers who wants to make something a certain way, and you're like, dog, that's going to be way worse for our customer. And they're like, yeah, but it's going to make us more money. That could be draining, where you, you you wish that you were all in this world of sunshine and rainbows, where mm -hmm. you can make a great product, and you know the, your your counterpart might say, "Well, what if we just made it free? Wouldn't that be even better for customers?" And it's like, yeah, I get that we have to make money as a company. I get that's you know we're all getting paid to do this, but 
there's got to be a, a happy medium there. And, and that can be training sometimes. Um, really quick on the users thing. One of my favorite things that a company calls their customers is at DSW, they call them shoe lovers. Ooh. So when you are like stepping up next in line, they're like, next shoe lover, please. And it it gives me nightmares thinking about having to say that to someone. Um, okay. My last question is what softwares would you recommend to someone that just wants to start messing around with product design? Uh, and to kind of explore their abilities of, you know, mocking up Snapchat or Uber? Like what would be the s- softwares that you would recommend? Yeah. So we're, we're lucky to live in an era where there's dedicated software just for this job, which definitely uh-huh. didn't exist like five or 10 years ago. So that's really cool. So the two really big ones that are that are most famous right now are Figma, F-I-G-M-A, and Sketch, like sketching something on your notepad. Those are probably the two big guys in this space right now. But uh, if you if you search for like product design software, there's actually all sorts of other ones too. So we're, we're actually very much in the golden age of of software design, specifically for this use case, which is great. And I would give a second to Figma because I have no design background, and I was trying to do some uh, like rough wireframes, and it's actually super intuitive to use, even with no experience. So if you just want to mess around, yeah. If you ever mess around in Photoshop, like you know, in, as as a kid or anything like that, like. These apps work very similarly to that, where there's like a thing in the middle that you're drawing on and there's a little toolbar on the side. So they're all kind of based off of that original like Adobe Photoshop, Adobe Illustrator type of vibe. Cool. And my last question is, um, in the design community, what are some trends that you are most excited for? Hmm. Um, calling this a trend, I think, is in some ways doing a disservice, but I think it's the idea of building diverse teams that, mm. you know, we sort of chatted about it in different ways earlier on, on the, on the, on the pod, but this idea that <laughs> if I'm designing, if, if I'm designing something for someone who I'm not, that's going to be harder for me. Part of my job is to build that empathy for them and talk to them and learn from them. But what if we had someone on the team who was like that? And then mm-hmm. what if we had actually five people on the team who were like that? And mm-hmm. what if we cracked open this tech industry, which is such a white male boys club, to bring in people of color, women, folks who are differently abled, right? If they have certain disabilities, like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, then just I know from experience makes my working day better, but also mm-hmm. makes your end result, makes the product better, and that ultimately benefits your customers. So this idea where, and I said earlier how you know passionate I am about building diverse design teams, that's not just diversity in skills, it's diversity in backgrounds, it's diversity mm-hmm. of thought, it's all these different ways that you can build a diverse team. And mm-hmm. those have by far been the best teams that I've ever worked on. Uh, so that's something that continually gives me, uh, you know, gives me energy and, and, and passion about building those things. It's something that I'm excited about that it's now, it's not some... It's not something that that companies feel like, oh, okay, we have to this diversity thing. There's one person who's like our diversity person, and we have to kind of do whatever mm-hmm. they say. Like companies are really getting bought into this now, and it's because the proof is in the pudding. It just makes the product better, and it makes your working environment better. Yeah. Amen. And with amen. that, amen. <laughs> this and is a religious that, podcast, by the way. <laughs> yeah, very, seriously, and we're going to end with a prayer. Um, <laughs> 
It was a religious experience for me, so I got it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Greg, thank you so much. Yeah, this was so awesome. I was so happy to be here. So wonderful to catch up with y'all. And I love spreading the gospel of product design. (laughs) Thank you for respecting the religious nature of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Greg, cooler? Cooler? (laughs) we'll, We'll call it. Cooler, Greg the Cooler. I'll I'll get it right. I'm sorry. It's fine. It was Quayar. You were very close. Quayar, Quayar, Quayar. Cooler, cooler, cooler. Quayar. The giveaway when uh, remember telemarketers like as a kid when they would call during dinner time. Um, Now we have telemarketers as spam calls, but they're robots. These are actually Mm -hmm. humans. The dead giveaway when we knew it was telemarketer was they would call and say. Is Mr. Kuehler there? And then we would say, that person does not exist. They do not live here. Never call again. Click. <laughs> See, that's the dark side of design too, because the the telemarketers are getting smarter. They're considering like how to make people stay on the line longer. Mm-hmm. And um, yep, you know, that Darth Vader and the other guy stuff. It's that other guy stuff, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks, Greg. It was my yeah. pleasure. Happy to be here. All right, we're going to break, and then John and I will be right back. This! Maybe that was to me. Hey. Hi. Hey, we're back. We're back. That was so fun. Gosh, Greg is so awesome. Greg is great. We were just talking to him about how his superpower is being a very clear communicator. Mm-hmm. And I am pretty jealous about that because being in the needing to be persuasive about things that are not always black and white, mm-hmm. it's super valuable. And it it now like clicks to me why he was so like impactful. Like I felt like he was very effective at moving things in a direction where I was like, oh yeah, like being in the background of customer experience. I'm like, yeah, that's what we should be doing. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, but how come, how come this is working for you? And it's like, um, yeah, he's, yeah, he, he's always been really good at that. And like, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of jealous because when we used to, when we used to work together, it would like rub off on me. Like I'd get mm. a lot better at like, you know, communication and I'm like, man, I just want to work together again so I could just, you know, get some of those superpowers too because it's, it like you said, it's very, it's very helpful even in like outside of uh, design. You know, I know it's not typically recommended to encourage. Um, well, I was gonna say a white male, but he's not. Like he he was mentioning how he's Colombian, but um, I was gonna say um you know, give him a podcast mic. Um, that's kind of like, <laughs> but, but maybe he could just solo talk um, about things and we can just listen to it while we're at work. And then the way that he talks will rub off on us. Mm-hmm. And then we'll... Um, he could teach a course, you mean? Like he could just like have like training videos that we listen to? <laughs> I was just going to say like he just talks on a podcast for like an hour straight and we just mm-hmm. listen to it mm-hmm. um, about whatever he wants to talk about. And then we pick up on the way that... That he talks about things. So on the I guess he could do 
Yeah, on the eloquence. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That's why I was so excited to have him here because I knew he was just going to like mic drop, you know, like the way he describes those like complicated, complex kind of topics and like the trade-offs. It's like, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I'm in. Makes sense. And mm-hmm. I I, I love this idea. Um, well, not the idea. So the, the thought behind – a product designer is someone that is working on how a website should work and how people are interacting with it. And his points on having a diverse team to be able to represent that for all users to yeah. be able to have um, you know, representation in that user experience, I think is so critical. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously companies are always talking about diversity and inclusion. Um, but like at the heart of it, the idea has always been like this, it, you need to have representation and different lived experiences to have like a fully dynamic and multifaceted product. And I just mm-hmm. feel like a role that would be so impactful and that is a product designer. So I, we did mention it to Greg, to, like if there's any resources out there for people getting started, but, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I just would love, I think that's such, such a great like a uh, career path to take if it's like you like problem solving and yeah. um yeah do you think you'd want to do it you know i yeah that is definitely <laughs> i i i like doing problem solving um i really relate to a lot of the things that greg was saying um but yeah i think you know people with different points of view i think I want to see them do it more than me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that, that's like one of the things that like um, that we've been doing at, at our team is we've been hiring a bunch of uh, engineers who have non-traditional backgrounds, mm. um, and that's been that that like my main argument around this is like very similar, where people with varied experiences and different backgrounds and different skills can bring to a different like product, right? Like they they mm-hmm. can attack the creative problem solving at the engineering level in a different way too. Um, and so like I, I completely believe what he was talking about as well, what Greg was talking about as well, um, that like that diversity of thought allows for like better solutions, better creative like problem solving solutions. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited about – I'm excited that the industry like is moving more in that direction and has more of an appetite for that than like 10 yeah. years ago. I mean, I would love to be able to access data showing kind of what the breakdown of, you know, the hiring is because yeah. with so much of this, it is a lot of talk and it's very aspirational. Yeah. And it's like I would like to see how – because uh, there is there is this really great uh, Twitter bot that was going uh, – that was active yesterday. So every single time a company posted – uh, something about an International Women's Day, the Twitter mm-hmm. bot would auto-respond with what the pay gap difference was mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. men to women at that company. Yep. Yep. And, you know, you have that with Black History Month where mm-hmm. every company, you know, it, it's, it, it's, you know, it. there is kind of this, how do you move talk to action? And like, 
obviously I don't know the answer to that, but I, well, one thing that I feel strongly about is like, I think it's networks are our problems. It's like our networks are usually networks that look like us. And that's why it all remains similar in the hiring practices. Like, I, I think I'm kind of like falling into a different, um, bucket right now. Like, cause I'd like, I mean, obviously we've been thinking about this ever since we've like worked in this industry, but, um, but I, I I actually think that like the way to kind of move forward is to not be not feel so antagonistic about it, mm-hmm. um, and to not let perf- perfection be the enemy of good in this one. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is that like we do need to start tracking this. We do need to start measuring this. But like I noticed that there's a little bit of like fear in leaders who maybe are not as you know comfortable identifying what are the metrics that we track, right? And like, um, how do we track, how do we track some of these metrics? Right. Um, and like, like, you know, like what are the different axes of diversity that we are, we want to be held responsible for and, um, how can we move forward in that? Right. And I think that if everyone, if all leaders could just like start with like racial and gender diversity, just to start. Right. Just start measuring that. Start measuring the difference in pay across those different axes and just start there, like build on top of that. And that would be much better than where we are right now, where we're like talking about like theoretical kind of like improvements, but not putting action to it. Because I feel Mm -hmm. like there's just a lot of fear of like, you know, like we like like being canceled, you know, like not not like using the right terminology, like there's a lot that has changed in terms of like what diversity and inclusion amounts to in like even the past few years. And so I feel like, um, I feel like there is a little bit of like tiptoeing and like fear of saying the wrong thing that like leaders just need to kind of, they, they just, they just need to start somewhere, you know? Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's I'd kind be, of how I'm thinking about it. No, and that that's I, I, I like that perspective on it because I can be a little um I can be a little antagonistic about it just because I I feel like I haven't necessarily seen it successful. And right, right. I would be, mm-hmm. you know, if anyone's listening at this part and you know of a company that has really been successful at initiatives of not only being successful in creating a diverse team, but like actually inclusivity, like voices being heard and, you know, satisfaction of the employee being able to kind of back that up. Um, I I would love to know about it. I I agree. Like there, there is kind of a, there's a starting point, but I also think too, it's like, there's, um, I think that there's always room for kind of the point of view that it's not enough, not because it shouldn't make someone feel bad, but it's kind of like the same thing as like if someone like if someone and I I can speak to this like as a white person, but if someone tells me something I did was racist, like I need to listen to that and I need to uh, and I need need to take accountability. It doesn't matter what my intent was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's kind of the idea of, you know, anti-racism. It's not, you know, not seeing it, but it's like being proactively against it. So I I do agree with you. I just I think that um, 
Like, I don't know if you're following TikTok, but like all of the performative, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) all of the like uh, social justice kind of like call out creators Mm -hmm. are like in a, a, like epic Marvel, like uh, end games feud. Like they're all crumbling and they're all like, they're all getting like called out and being, uh, and no one likes them anymore. Have you been paying attention? Mm -hmm. Like, have you it's insane. Like there's this one TikTok uh, creator called Modern Warrior and uh, they're an indigenous creator. And like th- these other like call out creators were like, it, I mean, it's so hard to explain. If anyone's listening to this and knows what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But it's like, but what they're really getting called out for in some regards to where the story is going is being performative. Uh, and, uh-huh. um, and, so there, there is, but I, I do agree with you that I was like, there is a starting point, but I think it's also for white people specifically. It's like, it's, I feel like it, it's a matter of taking kind of like not tentative steps forward in this and just like not, not caring about like just making making systematic changes within a company. I mean, I guess I don't know what that looks like, but Right, I, but but that's that's why that's why I think like we need to start somewhere. Right? Like 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 yeah. it can't be like I, I cuz I, like I agree. I don't think it's like a oh like like you guys play nice. Like I mean, like it, it's not yeah. that's not necessarily it. Like the, what I'm trying to get at is that like you know how we were just talking about how like shows that like were super hilarious like back in the day have not aged well. Yeah. Like that's going to be natural about anything we create because we're constantly learning. We're constantly improving, right? Yeah. So like trying to reverse, like, I don't know, like, you know, bringing up bringing up things from the past and canceling them now, you know, like that kind of that, – that practice I feel is not actually – like it doesn't help us actually get better, right? Because then then it creates a like, a, 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 like an environment where you're – like there's a little bit more fear and and hesitation when it comes to engaging right and i think that we should be able to have like like healthy debate on these kinds of things as we continue to learn about these kinds of things like like for instance like like i don't know like 5 years ago did i know about pronouns no right. like does that mean i'm going to get canceled now i hope not you know and 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 i think like that's where i feel like we have to, especially when it comes to diversity in tech, because like that that's kind of where I'm most familiar. Like I feel that it's better to start with something that is imperfect than to constantly be talking about like the idealized version of good and bad in this scenario because it's a moving target, you know? Yeah. And I but I I think one big thing for me at least, and I mean if you don't mind me saying, like I'm, I'm white, you know, mm-hmm. but Joyce, you're Korean, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I, I don't know if like maybe this colors it a little bit because for me it's like for what I what I continue to hear is when like at, for me as being the white person in this, like I feel like it is it now needs to be my responsibility to not leave it to you know, transgendered individuals to speak up, to say mm-hmm, like, hey, mm-hmm. please use my pronouns. And then kind of, you know, as, you know, as a, a cis 
gendered white woman, like just being like, yeah, like it should, you know, it, it should not be the battle of the individuals that right, are meeting like, exactly. the voice. And th- yep, that's yep. the way I'm – so I think sometimes when I'm like taking this antagonistic approach, um, maybe the way I'm looking at it and maybe I just need to think about it in a different way is I I don't – I feel like in my experience that I've seen, it has been the individuals that are needing to advocate for themselves that are the ones that – can't be polite about it because it's 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 critical and mm. I don't know I'm just mm. you know so I I do I I do I I totally agree with what you're saying I think for my, for me I just I'm maybe not creating a great environment for debate but I don't know I'm just I don't know like like because yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> we got off on a on a very yeah. big topic. <laughs> we can definitely can't solve. And I'm like, fuck, am I like digging myself deeper into a grave here? Like, I like, I'm no expert. I'm just gonna say that. Like, we we are still learning. And I like, I think the part that I feel passionate about is that like, I hope that we continue to be allowed to learn. Um, yeah. And by that, I mean, I hope that like, if I make a mistake, like. That doesn't mean that I am like like labeled as someone who who can't who like does who can't partake in this conversation anymore, you know like like i I, I hope because like I think people learn from mistakes, and if mm-hmm. we have this black and white kind of situation where once you make a sta- a mistake, you can't engage with the conversation, then like. Like that, that, I don't know. I like. I don't think that that we can get better from that. I don't know. Do well, you? I think it's. Uh, well, I think, I I think we all need to be comfortable being told, "Hey, like it, this thing that you said made me feel this way." Right. Right. Exactly. And and it's about taking accountability. Like, you know, I'm I'm having this conversation right now, um, with you, but like. At, at the heart of it, like what it really, I mean, like, I don't, it, I don't want to speak for people that like, I, I, I don't have the same lived experience as, right. but I, but I'm trying to like find a balance of like, but it's, it's people that look like me that need to hear these things and it needs to be the people that have different lived experiences that don't need to be doing the work all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, to, mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like holding our own accountable. And so mm-hmm. I think, I, I, I think a huge part about all of this is being okay with the fact like that, um, that someone might call you out for something like there's, right, there's right. this idea that like as a white person, you are racist. Like mm-hmm. that is not mm-hmm. like, end of sentence because you live in a society that has perpetuated systemic racism. So it is impossible for you as a white person to not be racist. And that doesn't mean that you're a bad person. But like if the conversation becomes about like, oh, well, now I'm not able to do if you can just like listen and, you know, and and better understand. And again, I'm speaking from the perspective of being a white woman at this. And like white women are some of the like you know, worse perpetrators of making the conversation about themselves. And, um, 
and uh like the one of the big things that came up in this TikTok feud is like the the danger of white woman tears because white women's tears like in the past has like gotten people killed yeah yeah you know and like um and like just a quick anecdote is like i get super um i get super emotional at doctors offices because i got really sick once and it felt like no one listened to me and so i like i i almost cry every single time i'm in a doctor's office mm-hmm. and um and i was uh someone was helping me and it was like kind of a bad experience and i started like crying when this person was being rude to me and this person happened to be black. And I realized kind of in that moment, like, this is fucking like bad that I'm doing this. Like I Mm. need, I need to be aware of the fact that I'm not just like crying. Like this could, if, you know, I don't know, like this is again, Mm. like we have Mm. to be comfortable. I think saying things and like, and, and learning from it, like you said, but that also might mean, Feeling uncomfortable. Feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah I definitely. think that's right. Definitely. Oh, man. Well, this is funny. Oh, <laughs> <that> we- God. <laughs> God, I'm like, dude, talking about this stuff is always super stressful because I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> and we're recording it. So it's and like, we're recording it. Yeah. And like, like I said, like two years later, if we listen to this, like, it'll probably like, ooh, man. Not great, you know? Um, but at the same time, it's like it's it's a barometer of progress. I see, I agree. That's that's why I hope that like that there's more of a movement towards like 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 you said, being uncomfortable, having the conversation, having the difficult conversations, um, and like just being like, yep, like we didn't know better back then, you know? (laughs) And like having that be a learning opportunity as opposed to like a, a, like, I don't know, something else, like, like the end of the conversation. And I mean, again, I just had to say it as a white person, but like, for me, it's like holding other white people accountable. Cause like, even though like, uh, maybe like, you know, we should have known better. It's like, yeah, but we're still not fucking knowing better right now. And it's, it it needs to stop being, people of color, uh, you know, uh, disabled individuals, uh, LGBTQ plus um, individuals having to have this argument. It's like, it's not it, like white people need to start having this conversation with other white people and not making it so traumatic for mm-hmm, individuals, mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. looking to have, you know, they're like to be heard. And so, yeah, I mean, it is, it's like accountability and it's like growth, but it's like, it, but white people just need to not center themselves in these conversations. Mm-hmm. And, but when we're talking to, like, if they're, if it's a white person talking to another white person, it's holding them accountable. But when you actually have the voice of an individual um, that needs to be represented, it's not centering yourself in that conversation when they should be centered. Mm-hmm. But then it's also like, preparing, you know, that environment for that person to be able to speak without getting like having to like, like having to explain to people like I one of the most like impactful things that someone talked to me about was um, there is this conversation that happened in the office and it was 
to uh to people of color were talking about the impact of Black Panther, like the mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. someone who is white was like, "Oh, I didn't like it." And God bless this gal. She's like very like outspoken. She's like, "Honestly, as a white guy, it doesn't matter." And mm-hmm. and um, you know, it, in a professional workplace like, you know, it's there's like interpersonal things going on and I talked to her and like it, it sticks with me so much I just it sh- she was just done having to explain to white people yeah what what these things mean and it's like mm. but white people have to center themselves in the conversation to understand what it means to them and it's like just listen and I like I'm I'm not always like I'm definitely at fault of not being successful in doing that all of the time. But I don't know that that was just something that really, that really stayed with me when I talked to that person. Um, mm-hmm, and that person's mm-hmm. just like so fucking badass. Um, but <laughs> like, Oh my God, I love her. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know <laughs> this, this episode <laughs> just became an hour and a half. Oh my gosh. Maybe I'll just edit some of this because it's like, <laughs> Yeah, we we got talking about um like Greg's point about diversity and mm-hmm. we got kind of carried away. But yeah. but to wrap, yeah, we plus one on what Greg said. <laughs> we have a lot of feelings and thoughts about it for sure. Um, yeah, but uh, approximately but, twenty minutes of feelings. You know, uh, probably more if we, oh, no, we, if definitely. we let ourselves. <laughs> I agree. But um, but yeah, Greg was awesome. If you are a product designer and uh, loved Greg's uh, conversation, or if you're interested in becoming a product designer, definitely um, uh, send love his way. Um, we'll be posting um some of the links and notes that he. He gave for us, but um, yeah. Yeah, follow our um, Instagram too. It's um, so what do you do pod? Mm-hmm. And uh, we post a promo of these episodes, but it's a great opportunity to kind of like sound off and uh, and comment like if this is a career that you're interested in or other careers that you would want to hear about. Um <laughs> Or if me and Joyce – well, mostly me. If I said anything fucked up in the diversity conversation, like, call me the fuck out on it. Oh, me Uh, too. Me too. I'm I'm still learning myself. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, call me out. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, I'm losing. (laughs) I know. All right. I'll let you. All right. Are we wrapping? We're wrapping. <laughs> so this uh, has been an episode of So What Do You Do and More. <laughs> what is with the music? <laughs> what do you mean?